0: church. God is in the house. Hallelujah. And Raymond's back. (laughs) We have missed you, bro, but I got to tell you, we've got some great song leaders that you've had a huge impact on that have been filling your spot and it's been awesome. They're just a dandy morning church. Open your Bibles to first Peter chapter three. Whether you're watching us online, maybe for the first time, if you're visiting with us in some weeks, I'm involved in a series called Strangers, and if the Apostle Peter, I think, had access to Wi-Fi and a Twitter account, I, I can see there being four themes that he would hashtag. Four strange themes that I think are timely for these strange times. From the very start of his letter, I believe Paul would hashtag the word hope. Say hope. Okay. No doubt Peter wants us to have our feet firmly grounded here on earth, but he wants us also to have our affections and our ultimate attention fixed on that which is eternal. Something that's going to last forever. And he would say that as a life with Jesus, it is never going to come to an end. Peter calls that a living hope. The second word that he would hashtag would be the word holy. Say holy. Peter's calling us to lead a lifestyle that is different from the world that's around us. He says our standards have to be higher than the culture's. And they can be because of the presence of the Holy Spirit helping us. We truly can be lights in a dark world, Peter says, especially when it comes to our relationships with one another. Third word, Peter, would hashtag, is the one we unpacked last week. It's the word humble. Say humble. Christians aren't people who believe that we're more important or better than anybody else. No, as followers of Jesus, our aim is to make others feel more important and better than us. Now, we get that from our Lord, who didn't hang on to his significance with God, but rather humbled himself, becoming one of us, Paul says, even dying for us. In a little picture, the big became small so that I might become big. The holy became sin so that I might become holy. Now to do that took a great deal of humility we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And as we participate in that rescue effort with Christ, he's reminding us it will involve humility on our part or it's not going to work. Now lastly, we're going to take a look this morning at a fourth mark of a disciple that is possible only if hope, only if holiness and only if humility is a part of our lives. They all work together to help bring about harmony. Say harmony. There was a vision among some of the churches that Peter in the Roman Empire had helped to establish. Issues like circumcision, issues like baptism, issues like uh, the definition of marriage, issues like meat offered to idols, issues like racism, just to mention a few. And Peter realizes that the only way that they're going to have harmony the only way that they're going to experience unity in the midst of these differences is to work at it, to be intentional about it. And here's the basis for it. He says all of you should be of one mind. Now where would he get that? Well, Remember Jesus, just before he died, had a specific prayer that he lifted up to the Father in John 17. And at the heart of that was this, please God, help them get along. Help them hang on to one another. Help them stay together. Help them be unified. Help them be one as you and the Spirit and I are one. That's some serious oneness. And the Greek word Jesus uses there is the same Greek word Peter uses here in our text this morning. It's the word hamathodon. Now, you got to say that one with me. Hamathodon. Kind of sounds like a dinosaur, doesn't it? T-Rex met hamathodon in a mighty battle. It simply means being of one mind. If you're in a dating relationship, you need some homothodon. It's crucial to its health. If you're in a marriage, you need some homothodon. If you're in a business partnership, you need some homothodon. If you're part of a team, you need some homothodon. Not optional. Not to vibrancy, not to the health of those relationships. The meaning simply is this. Walking hand-in-hand with someone without always seeing eye-to-eye. Walking hand-in-hand with someone without always seeing eye to eye. That's harmony. That's homothedine. Now, here's how that works collectively. There's probably close to 50 churches, if not more, here in our Kerrville area, at least in our county. And we will never see eye to eye with all of them. We just won't. However, you will never hear one of us at KCC putting another church down because we have the same leader and we have the same mission. Amen? His name is Jesus. There's no competition here. Except for maybe how the Scripture encourages outdo one another in showing each other honor. We'll we'll be a part of that. Another way to describe homophonum is this. Oneness without sameness. Oneness without sameness. Now that's the definition we put on the kids' bulletin for them. But I think it's the one that we can all walk out of here with a handle on. Harmony is oneness without sameness. Do you think our culture could use a little dose of that. Boy, we sure could. Oneness without sameness. Here's what it looks like. In the state of Texas, a high school football game ends, and two boys are on opposing teams, and they get together, and they kneel down and pray. Now, is this part of a tradition? Not any longer. No, these young men met together for a specific purpose. The guy on the right is Gage Smith. You see, he learned that Ty Jordan's mom was battling cancer. The two had played on a select seven all star team earlier in the year, and so they were friends. Different high schools, different positions on the field. However, both of them are sons, both of them are Americans, and both of them are Christians who believe in a God who heals the sick, and so they met together in the middle of the field after the game was over. That's oneness without sameness. This is Zach Mayo and Lucy Rogers. He's a Republican and she's a Democrat. What are they doing sitting sitting next to each other? I don't know. Let me explain. They're running for the same office in the state of Vermont. They both got together at the outset of their campaigns and they said, hey, what if we don't trash one another? What if we don't put one another down? What if we honor one another even though we disagree on a lot of subjects? Now, that's strange, isn't it? Especially in this political environment. Well, they agreed. And recently, at the end of a town hall meeting where there was much debate about those issues, Zach picked up his guitar, and Lucy picked up her cello, and they played a song together. That's oneness without sameness. Some of you will recognize Antonin Scalia. He's the guy on the left, the former Supreme Court justice, and on the right is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's still on the Supreme Court. Now, ideologically, you could not find two more different people. He's very conservative when it comes to constitutional judge, and she's a very liberal constitutional judge. But interestingly enough, they've become best friends on the Supreme Court. He took her to the opera. She bought him some nice furniture for his home. You know, how in the world does that work? Well, Judge Scalia describes the process this way. He says, I attack ideas, but I don't attack people. Some very good people, he says, have some very bad ideas. I think that was kind of a little bit of a shot, right? If you can't separate the two, he writes, you'd better get another job if you're trying to serve on the Supreme Court. That's wisdom. That's homothedon. That's oneness without sameness. Now, I saved this picture for last. <laughs> you got a lion and a tiger and a bear, all three alpha predators. Now, usually you don't put them in the same field, let alone the same pen. Well, these three animals were raised by a drug dealer in Atlanta. You'd have to be on drugs to own all three of those. <laughs> he abused them, though. He didn't feed them properly, and he mistreated them. And a veterinarian in the state of Georgia rescued them and began nursing them back to health, but he realized that these animals... Needed each other to heal. So, for the last 12 years, they've slept in the same pen and they've lived together in the same field. And the reason why I show that to us this morning is simple. If you're new to KCC, first of all, welcome. (laughs) If online you're watching us for the first time, first of all, welcome. Secondly, I want you to know that every single person in here is hurt. All of us are healing. Every single one of us have been dinged and damaged by this world. Amen? Yeah. And the one thing that we have that keeps us together, the one thing that we have in harmony, is that Jesus is healing us. And as we heal, we're committed to not letting ourselves get meaner. We're not going to get angrier. We're not going to become bitter people. We're taking aim to heal together and become kinder and become more empathetic and more compassionate because our Lord was that, the one who's healing us. That, my friend, is the heart of the message of Peter today. And he says, it's the only thing, it's the only thing that makes harmony possible or hurt people who are being healed. Remember, where they got their healing from. Let's pray before we go on, Father. We're not the only ones who want to be healed, who need your transforming power of the Spirit. We pray for Christ church this morning. We lift them up as they too are breaking bread, whether it's in their homes or whether it's in a, in a building like this. Please bless Christ church in their preaching and the breaking of bread and their singing. And please help us be one. We know that makes you smile. We know you love harmony. And so please, help us through the power of the Spirit. This Congregation especially. It's the one we're connected to most. Help us be huge, clear examples of it. For it's in your Son's name. Amen. Peter writes, All of you should be of one mind. Hemathodon. Here's how you do that. You sympathize with each other. You love each other as brothers and sisters. You be tender hearted And you keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, you pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do. And he will grant you a blessing. Now, if I had to put one word over that, it would be that homophonum. It would be that harmony. Here's how you live in harmony with one another. How am I going to help you remember that? Let me tell you a story about a little boy. He was looking for some spiritual guidance and he wanted a blue and silver bicycle and he really didn't know how to pray for it. And so he found himself a Christian broadcasting network and he turned into it. The first show he watched was a high church program. Man, it was very liturgical, had lofty songs and lofty preaching. Well, he picked up enough about how they kind of did things there at church that he went home that night and here's how he prayed. Eternal and everlasting Father, if it is in your perfect will, Grant me to have a blue and silver bicycle, and may it be manifested to me tomorrow morning. Oh, for your everlasting praise and glory. Amen. Well, in the morning he woke up and there was no bicycle. Not in his room, not out on the porch, not in the garage. So he went back to the Christian at work, and he learned a different form of prayer. He came back and he prayed that night, Lord Jesus, I declare my need for a bicycle. And I ask it to be silver and blue and delivered on my doorstep by 6 a.m. in the morning. In all the authority and power of Jesus, amen. At least that's what his mother heard as he was praying. woke up the next morning, no bicycle. So the next morning he was wandering around the house and he saw his mother's statue of Mary. He slipped it in his jacket and he goes outside and he hides it in the woods. And he came back into his room and he started praying, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... You want Harmony Church? It's kind of like asking for a silver and blue bicycle. It matters who you listen to and how you go about getting it. So please be careful who you turn to for how you think about God. Please be careful who you turn to how you act on behalf of God. Because we may do some very unhelpful and sometimes some ungodly things all in the name of following it. See, as powerful as feelings are, as powerful and wonderful as experience is, Scripture reminds us that ultimately the Word of God is the only thing that's going to last forever. Peter says this as much in his letter. Our natural lives will fade as grass does. When it becomes all brown and dry, all our greatness, all of it, is like a flower that droops and falls. But the Word of the Lord will last forever. Amen, church? Amen. So friend, if it's your desire to know how to have harmony in your marriage, in your business, in this church, if it's your desire to know how to pray to God, let me encourage you to first listen to what the Word of God has to say about it this morning. Even more particularly on the other side of the cross and resurrection, can I say this? I would encourage you to hear how Jesus and His followers teach us how to have those things. Oh my, he'd like to have a word with you about it. About your marriage, about your family, about your business. Oh my, Jesus has much to say about those things and investments and health and retirement and raising kids along with controversial subjects like abortion and homosexuality and racism. And when Jesus speaks clearly about any issue, I found out, when he gives direction about any one of those issues, life comes in the obedience to those instructions not just understanding. Now, determining what God has to say about a certain subject can be challenging, I promise you. But the greatest challenge is simply obeying and living out by faith what he asks me to do. Here's one of his great expectations. God wants us to treat others the way he treats us. God wants us to treat others simply the way he treats us. Forget the golden rule. Jesus brought the platinum rule, and that's it. And today we're going to look at a specific issue that has been kind of churning, not just in the world, but also in our church. And regardless of your opinion that you formed about this issue, I just want to ask you to apply the platinum rule to it, and there it is. God wants us to treat others the way he treats us. The issue. David French, a journalist who lives in Nashville, writes... The mask culture war has to be one of the most destructive political and cultural disputes in modern American history. To wear a mask or not wear a mask has to be one of the most destructive political and cultural disputes in modern American history. And we're all continuing to pay the price. What the battle seems to be, goes on to write, is a war against empathy in America. America. Wouldn't it be nice if we all just prioritized in these debatable issues by seeking what it feels like, what it is like to walk in somebody else's shoes, especially someone on the other side of a controversial issue or debate? Now, I don't know if David's a follower of Jesus, church. I don't. But what he asked is very much akin to what Jesus' followers have been asked by Paul. Remember in our lesson on humility last week, Paul encouraged all of us to do this. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. He follows that up in another letter of Paul's when he says don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and others ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. Now, why in the world would he have to say that to Christians? Especially those living so close to when he actually walked among them. Here's why. Because human beings will always argue about anything. Anything. And we will always think our side of the argument is always the best. Bold enough to say amen? Yeah, we all do. Mr. French is right. These masks, <laughs> they're just the latest indicator of the problem that we have in our culture. And I've got to say this in our own church, in every church it's a lack of empathy. It's a lack of empathy. We want so much to assert our own rights and our privileges more so than we want to use those rights and privileges. To do what Jesus commanded. Treat others the way he treated us. Especially when it comes to disputable matters. Disputable matter. To wear a mask or not wear a mask. When COVID first broke, we had experts and facts and figures that declared masks really didn't make much of a difference in the spread of germs even though that doctors still wore them when they were doing surgery. Now, six months later, we actually have experts saying that these masks, with their facts and their figures, and those doctors that wear them to prevent germs and operate, they really can make a difference. Maybe small, but it can make a difference. We also have government leaders, including our president, urging us to wear them in public. To help keep church gatherings open. To help keep businesses open. To help keep people employed and making a living. Voila. Disputable matter. It just didn't start. It's been going on for six months since we first heard about this thing called COVID. And I love God for this. 2,000 years ago, he writes to Christians about how to handle all this. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is actually addressing a disputable matter, a debatable matter, and the problem he addresses is not perfect knowledge. It's not perfect understanding. His words are not shared to correct a lack of knowledge or understanding, but to correct a lack of empathy among Christians in Rome and in Kerrville. The issue at stake then? (laughs) Meat-eating versus meat-abstaining. In regards to idols. Now, how did this battle even come to exist? Well, when Scripture was written, there was a lot of idol worship. Take, for instance, the temple at Artemis. Sacrifices were made there, even like they were at the Jewish temple. But when those sacrifices were made at Artemis, those were false gods. And, and they involved animals, just like the ones made at the temple. And when that meat was, was done being sacrificed, that animal was turned into meat after being sacrificed... Some of the priests would eat that meat and that was, uh, was even done at the temple. And that which wasn't eaten was sold in the public. That's where that all came about. Now some Christians believe that eating that meat sacrificed to idols was acceptable. Other Christians believed it was inexcusable and reprehensible. Here's what Paul taught. If you had your Bibles you can go to 1 Corinthians 8 verses 4-5. through 5. I'm just going to summarize this for time's sake. His logical and biblical understanding was idols are irrelevant. They're not real. That obviously had a place in society, yes, because people were worshiping them, yes, but they have no more spiritual power, Paul says, or significance than a rock in the road or a fence post in a, uh, in a pasture or this lectern here on top of this stage. So he writes, there's complete freedom For those who have a free conscience to eat food sacrificed to idols, enjoy your barbecue and if you're coming by the jail, bring me a rib. That's kind of what he says in 1 Corinthians 8. Now there were other Christians that saw this as an abomination and believed it was just best to leave that meat alone. So at worst, you would be participating in false worship of an an evil, evil idol or at best, just the appearance of evil. And neither is good. So buy your meat at H-E-B, they would say. Well, what Paul say to both groups? Romans 14. To the non-meat eaters, to those whose conscience was troubled, he says, don't you dare judge the meat eaters who are exercising their freedom to eat. Don't label them. Don't caricature them. Don't commit what Richie Sessions calls a <laughs> Don't kill them in your heart. Don't murder them by assuming certain things about their motives like, oh, they don't care. They're unloving. They're not serious about the things of God. How? Don't condemn them in your heart. Live in harmony with them, Paul says. To the meat eaters, to those whose conscience allowed them to eat meat sacrificed to idols, Paul says, don't you dare judge those who are anxious in their spirit about this issue, who are a little fearful of this being wrong for them. Don't you dare make them feel small for their understanding. You live in harmony with them. Wow. You think this might translate into this issue? I think so. On one side, you've got the no-mask wearers who feel that there's no reason to wear a mask and to do so would be a threat to their freedom as Americans. On the other side are the mask wearers those who say there are at least two significant reasons to wear one. Number one, it's helpful on some level of getting rid of this pandemic. And number two, our governing authorities have mandated they be worn, and scripture says follow what they say, as long as it doesn't violate your relationship with Christ. Both groups have their experts, both groups have their facts, both groups have their television stations, and both groups have their scriptures. Here's what God has to say. First to the non-mask wearers, use your freedom, but don't assert it. Use it to serve those who are most troubled. Here's Jimmy's paraphrase of of Romans 14. If your brother or sister is distressed because you won't wear a mask, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your refusing to wear a mask, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Non-masked wearers, you can do that. Scott Saul is the author of Jesus Outside the Lines. Tells the story of Jim Wood and the day that he quit drinking alcohol. Jim was an admired pastor and a mentor to Scott. And Jim told him one day about a young man who had started going to his church and came to him for some counseling. He was struggling with staying sober. He was an alcoholic, and he confided in me. He told Scott that he was struggling with breaking free from liquor, and so he asked me a question. Pastor, do you drink alcoholic beverages? Well, up to that point in Jim's life, Jim would have answered yes, because Jim didn't drink, did indeed drink on occasion. But, Scott writes, he answered the question for this young man by saying, no, I don't drink. And Jim never took a sip of alcohol again. All for the sake of helping that one individual in that one time of weakness. Now, is Pastor Jim free to drink alcohol? To have a glass of wine or a beer? Sure he is. Jesus turned water into wine. Deuteronomy includes strong drink in the list of items to be enjoyed at the Festival of Booze. Jesus included wine on the Lord's table at the Lord's Supper. So there's complete freedom for a sober man who's not addicted to drink alcoholic beverages. But to this man, he said, I do not drink wine or beer for the sake of that one person. That's humble. That's bold, humble. To serve a neighbor in his time of need. Now back to the masks. I will be the first to say this. I hate wearing masks. (laughs) I do. I don't ever want to wear a mask again if I could help it. I have the freedom not to wear a mask in this assembly. They itch. They make my face feel hot and sweaty. You can't be understood very clearly through them. I don't like them, especially in summertime. However, I am wearing them. I'm wearing a mask out in public, including all church gatherings, even outside the building, for two reasons. One, our president and governor have asked us to. And I want to be obedient to scripture that says, as much as possible, follow the authority of your governing people, because I put them there. And number two, I've got brothers and sisters who are very, very concerned about me not wearing a mask. So I'm going to wear one to make them feel a little bit more at ease. Wearing a mask does not violate my conscience in following Christ. Not wearing a mask doesn't violate my conscience in following Christ. But I think the heart of Jesus would be to wear a mask. Oh, come on, sportsmen! Less than 3% of the people who've contracted the virus have died. Why in the world should I decide to change my lifestyle for 3% of the people in America? I'll let Jesus answer that one. Jesus said he'd leave the 99% for the sake of 1%. And ideally, walking with a group of fully devoted disciples, I think the 99 would be expected to follow him and go with him. But even if they wouldn't, Jesus tells the parable, tells the story that for the sake of the one weaker sheep who couldn't or wouldn't stay with the group, I'll go back and get them so they could be with us. So I have to wonder where Jim would turn for an example of giving up his preferred lifestyle to live a sacrificial lifestyle. He was looking to Jesus for the example. Number two, Jim was also looking to Paul's application of 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. The purpose of Christian freedom is this. It is not to assert our freedoms or our rights for our own good. The purpose of freedom in Scripture is a use of that freedom and privilege to bless others. Would Jesus wear a mask? Here's the answer. He wore a cross. He wore a cross. And on that cross, he wore a crown of thorns. I think he'd wear a mask. But, let me say just as boldly, Jesus and Paul would both say to the church, if Jimmy refuses to wear a mask, don't you dare judge him. Don't you dare write him off. Don't you commit a suicide because he stands or falls in the kingdom and it's my kingdom and he will stand in my kingdom. I'll make sure. Now that's his word. Now Paul could have said, all you meat eaters y'all meet at Habib's house and y'all worship Jesus over here. And all you non-meat eaters, y'all meet at Tabitha's house and you worship over here. He could have said, all you mask wearers, you meet over here and you worship Jesus. And all you non-mask wearers, you meet over here and worship Jesus. He wouldn't have none of that. He said, you come to the Lord's table and you worship together. Harmony is what I'm asking you to do. done. That you would be one. That you'd hang on to one another. In love, F-I-O. Figure it out. And we're trying. We have never mandated that you had to wear a mask here. Never. So we've left that as an option. And we have some seats set up for those who maybe feel a little bit more nervous and go, you know, i just like to not have someone singing over, over my back. Because what we're trying to do here is not just have one way or the other. We're looking for as best as we can the third way. Our way. And I think this is just a little bit of a training wheel issue for us to get ready for some serious issues that are coming. And they're already here in our laps. What's the third way here? It's the way of humility that leads to harmony. Harmony. Now, that's not important just for the benefit of maintaining peace here in this church. It's for winning people to the Prince of Peace. Because the world's watching. That's another reason why Paul writes what he writes to the churches that he's writing to. He says, treat each other in person and on Facebook and in the news and on television, wherever you happen to be, in the way that Christ would treat you. Because when you do that, it builds a bridge into people's lives. For people who don't know Christ, they're watching. And when you don't treat each other like that, they also are watching and they see the barriers that you've erected in your own church. Why would they want to be a part of more barriers? So in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the weak, I became weak. To win the week, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel. In a nutshell, I think Paul would say: Unity preaches, and so does disunity. Harmony preaches; and the world's watching and they're listening, and so does disharmony. Brother, you may not be aware of it, but the world is watching and listening, so let's make sure that when they see us and they hear us, they hear Jesus and they see Him. I was reminded this last week of how the world is intrigued by humble harmony. Maybe you've seen this. James Penland sent it to me. I owe to, debt of thanks for that. This is Mary Daniels and her husband Steve. They live in Florida, and Steve was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. Some of you have been there with a loved one. It is a scary diagnosis. It is a sad diagnosis. She had to place him in a nursing facility. When he reached a stage, she could no longer herself take care of him. Then COVID came. And now she can no longer go and visit her husband. And he doesn't understand why she's not coming. And so she didn't get to see him for 114 days. It was breaking both of their hearts. And then the care facility began advertising for a job for a part-time dishwasher. And so Mary applied because the government had mandated only the employees of that nursing home could go inside the nursing home. So every day, Mary leaves her executive role at a business where she makes really good money. And she heads to the care center to wash dishes first at minimum wage so she can spend a few hours with her husband. i made news channels all over the country. Because humble harmony grabs people's attention. So if you're looking for humility mentors or harmony mentors, let me suggest Mary Daniels. She'd be one to consider. And I was wondering, what could God do with an army of Mary Daniels? an army of people who had real hope and meaningful holiness and true humility, all combined with a passion for harmony. What would the world think of that? I think they would say, that's strange. My hope is they'll call it home. They'll call it home. Father, we come to you this morning and we do want to be a bridge into people's lives so that they will come home to you. We know that it depends more on your gospel than our living out the gospel. We want to do our, do our part. We certainly don't want to put up barriers to get in the way of it. And so we come to you this morning and just confessing, sorry. <laughs> our way gets in the way of your way a lot. And so we're just asking on this particular issue, would you help us go about it your son's way? And then to not judge each other however we choose. To trust that each other's trying to do their best. To not commit a suicide. On either side of this issue, please help us be humble, harmonious servants for your son. We know we can't do it ourselves. So Holy Spirit, number one, we come confessing our pride and our arrogance and our insistence in our own way. Please show us your way. In Jesus' precious name we ask us and everybody said. Let's stand, let's praise in church.